the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart plane talk regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections, and I follow his directions. It's Sunday, 4 o'clock, and that means it's the best hour in radio of the week. It is the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and every Sunday, 4 to 5, Live on 1280 AM, The Patriot, or sometimes recorded, we talk politics, Israel, and the law. And we uh, bring it to you with maybe some ideas, some thoughts that you haven't considered and you'd like to consider. It's... uh, a show that talks about sometimes the big issues of the day that you've been reading about all week during the previous week, and sometimes things you haven't been thinking about or considering at all because they are not in the headlines, but you should be. I want you to take out your number two pencil and your yellow pad and jot down that in a couple of weeks you got to make sure to uh, tune in as we are going to have on the Victory Hour, Congresswoman Angie Craig will be joining us March 19th. Yes, in a couple of weeks. And uh, the Minnesota delegation to Congress parade on the Victory Hour continues. Not just in a couple of weeks with Angie Craig, but this week, today, we will be joined in a little bit by Congressman Brad Finstad, first district congressman in the state of Minnesota. This follows last week's visit from 7th District Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach. Very interesting discussion with uh, Michelle about... Now going from the minority, which she was in for a couple of years since being elected and defeating incumbent Colin Peterson after his 30 years of representing as a Democrat the 7th District in Minnesota, Michelle Fishbach defeats him handily, uh, the biggest margin of defeat of any Democrat incumbent in the 2020 election, and she has just been uh, uh, re-elected, but this time into the majority. 
And the freshman congressman, Brad Finstead, joining us today, starts his career in the U.S. Congress in the majority. We're going to talk to him a little bit about that. Obviously, the 7th Congressional District all along the western suburbs that Michelle Fishbach represents is uh, different than the 1st Congressional District along the southern uh, border of Minnesota. All along from east to west, the southern border of Minnesota is where that 1st Congressional District is. 21 counties represented within Brad Finstead's district. Uh, some of the big corporations or enterprises in the first where Brad Finstead represents them is Mayo Clinic, of course, uh, Fasenel Corporation, Hormel is in the first congressional district, and Taylor Corporation, Glenn Taylor's businesses, their headquarters in the first congressional district. So uh, it also is a big ag district. Some of the best farmland in the state of Minnesota is in the first congressional district and brad finstead is a member of the uh egg committee in the house the agriculture committee and also the armed services committee those are the two appointments he received as a freshman just entering u.s congress we're going to talk to him about those committee assignments as well as a number of policy issues and what is affecting those in the 1st Congressional District, and what we can expect as priorities with a new House Republican majority. Uh, in a few weeks after Angie Craig is on, of course, we uh, invite all to come on the Victory Hour, regardless of the side of the aisle that they sit. And Angie has been on the show a number of times. Dean Phillips has been on the show a number of times. Tina Smith has been on the show a number of times. All of them are a part of the congressional parade that we're going through on the Victory Hour presently. Uh, and after Angie Craig on the 19th, we are going to have uh, Tom Emmer uh, joining us on the Victory Hour. And that'll be about it. We'll have missed uh, Ilhan Omar, who does not come on the show just won't. Uh, we invited her a number of times, as well as uh, Betty McCullough, who uh, does not come on the show either. Um, I want to talk today a little bit, uh, before we're joined by our special guest, uh, about the recent election in Chicago. Um. This past week, Lori Lightfoot, mayor of the last number of years in Chicago, overseeing one of the uh, worst crime epidemics, murder and shooting at epidemics anywhere in the country, bar none, and doing little or nothing about it, uh, overseeing a woke culture in the schools and beyond in the city of Chicago that uh, made people just shake their head, even liberals, uh, has been defeated and ousted, embarrassingly not even making it to the runoff. In Chicago, there were, geez, there must have been eight candidates running for mayor, and only two rise to the top to 
compete in a runoff to see who will be the mayor, the next mayor of Chicago. You need to get one of the two top uh, vote counts in order to move on to the runoff, which is occurring in about six weeks, five, six weeks uh, from now. And Lori Lightfoot could not even, as the incumbent mayor, could not even get one of the top two spots. Really quite remarkable. And I believe it's a first in uh, the city of Chicago. Uh, Instead, a third of the vote went to Paul Vallas, who was a former Chicago Public Schools CEO. He's uh, He's around 70 years old, 69, 70 years old, and he... Uh, ran on bringing law and order back to the city of Chicago, restoring uh, respect and the complement of police officers to the police force. And as I say, restoring law and order to the city. That was his sole mantra, and he pounded it day in and day out. He is going to be running against, he got about a third of the vote, 20% of the vote was obtained in the second-place finisher by Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. And Brandon Johnson arguably makes Lori Lightfoot look like Ronald Reagan. I mean, Brandon Johnson is way out there. And uh, Valas, I mean, Johnson, African-American, he expects to bring together the African-American vote, which was splintered. Uh, and therefore Lightfoot couldn't get a foothold. Johnson was able to get this 20%. Lightfoot attacked him uh, as he was is just a far leftist. Lightfoot was saying this. So Vallas, who's a lifelong Democrat, looks quite reasonable and quite a bit different than Brandon Johnson. Watch this ra- uh, race because it is going to be a barn burner in the city of Chicago to see who the next mayor will be, Brandon Johnson or Paul Vallis. Well, we're going to be back after this short break. We'll talk. Uh, hopefully we will have on, and I, I think by then we will, uh, Congressman Brad Finstead of the 1st Congressional District, and we will be talking policy. We'll be talking about priorities and what we can expect from the new majority. We heard a bit from Michelle Fishbach last week about that. Let's hear from Southern Minnesota Representative, 1st District Representative Brad Finstead on that as well. While we're on this short break, go to ParkerDK.com. We'll be back, uh, so make sure to stay with us. Brad Finstead on the other side. Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and as promised, the Congressional Parade on the Victory Hour continues this week with 1st District Congressman Brad Finstead joining the show, and uh, I'll tell you, I'm excited for uh, this discussion today, the 1st District, the district that 
well, it's changed a little bit, uh, was represented by Governor Tim Walls for uh, a number of years, and uh, then by uh, uh, Jim Hagedorn, a good friend of the show, and sadly passed away, and a uh, a very difficult time, but a wonderful congressman representing the first. And then there was a special election, and this guy, Brad Finstad, defeats an executive from Hormel to become the next congressman in a special election last August uh, for the first congressional district, as I have said, you know, you got Mayo, you got Hormel, Fastenal down there, you got Taylor Corp, all in the first district and an important area of the state of Minnesota and really nationally with the most wonderful and fertile uh, farmland anywhere found in the first congressional district. And as a member of the Ag Committee and of Armed Services, but particularly the Ag Committee, uh, Representative Brad Finstead doing the work for the first. Brad, thanks so much for joining us on the Victory Hour today. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm I'm really honored to, to be on. So I I want to turn our attention right away to uh, what everyone across the state, and of course we're live streamed from coast to coast. We have listeners in New York to California up from. Uh, Texas to the Canadian border, and uh, they look at the new House majority and the big shift that has occurred, and, you know, frankly, you were a part of it. Obviously, a Republican represented the district before uh, you did. However, maintaining what is a very competitive seat down in the first district for the Republicans was a, uh, a big deal. What can we expect from the new Republican House majority? Yeah, well, thanks for that question. I mean, I'll tell you what, what people can expect. And I think what we're already showing the American public is that, you know, we're a bunch of workhorses. We, uh, we want to get things done. We, we have seen what uh, the Democrats and what, you know, Democrat control has done to this country, what, what the leadership of Nancy Pelosi did in regards to just the way the House was run with transparency and being more open to the public. Uh, or, or less open to the public. Uh, you know, I think what we're showing folks is that, you know, we truly are, understand the fact that we have the honor to sit in the people's seat and serve in the people's house. And so we're going to restore conversations really back to, you know, we want, we want things to happen, you know, for the American public, by the American public. So uh, you talked about me serving on the farm or on the egg, uh, egg committee, and, and we're writing, we're writing a farm bill right now. And we're going to do it by farmers for farmers, by rural America for rural America. You know, no more by D.C. for D.C., by bureaucrats for bureaucrats. And so really it's going to be more transparent, more open and honest and really just trying to engage people where they're at. So you mean that uh, uh, people bowing to Washington is no longer going to be the mantra, but as it should be uh, people in Washington listening or uh, vote elected officials in Washington listening to the people out in uh, the heartland of the country. Maybe that's that's a, a newfangled idea. Yeah, what a crazy idea, right? That yeah. people actually understand who they work for. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of us that, you know, I joke all the time that, you know, I don't really want to be in Congress. 
That's why I should be there. Yeah. We, we need a lot of people that, that, you know, have, have lived the American way of life. Uh, my wife and I are just so honored and blessed. We're fourth generation residents of Southern Minnesota. We're raising seven children. You know, we, we farm, we own an agribusiness and, and uh, you know, that we, we just felt that we have to do more to make sure we're helping improve our backyard and we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for our kids. We're doing it for that next generation. What are we doing right now? that sets the stage to put our kids up to succeed. And, and, and I've been just so honored to meet so many colleagues all across this country that are really committed to that, committed to serving uh, their neighbors and, and not themselves. You know, a representative as a peer of the people he is representing is who we're talking to today from the 1st Congressional District, uh, Brad Finstead. And, you know, you speak about it. Uh, you have seven kids. You're blessed with seven kids. And in, in, the, in the Congress, you now have one of 435 voices, votes, in Congress to talk about the debt ceiling, to talk about the future for your kids. What are your thoughts on how that's going to be handled? Well, right, I mean, I, we have to be honest again with each other that we have a spending problem in this country. Our, our appetite to grow and increase government has just had no bounds. And um, it's proven to be unsustainable. You know, we, we are we are struggling with with what we do moving forward here. So we owe it to our kids to have really open and honest conversations and to bring all options to the table. We have to make sure that we get to a point in this country where we can actually, with all honesty, talk about a balanced budget. Talk about a time where, you know, our, our intake is meeting our outtake. Our, and, 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 and again, it's not probably for you and I. It's for our kids. It's for sustainability. Because uh, we have a lot of really, you know, big, heavy things that are going on in this country right now. You know, the, the average family is struggling with inflation, the cost of energy, the cost of food. We, we see it uh, all around us. But we also see it, you know, where we at right now in, uh, in, in the global presence. We have folks, uh, you know, we have folks in this world right now that just quite frankly don't like us and they don't like our way of life. And, uh, and if we are constantly struggling from a debt perspective, from a spending problem perspective, we make ourselves weak not just domestically, but globally. You know, I remember, Brad, when I worked in uh, Washington, D.C., I worked for Congressman Bill Frenzel of the 3rd Congressional District uh, here in the state of Minnesota, one of the uh, most honored positions that I've ever held in my professional career at at any level. Uh, He was such an amazing congressman, uh, true to his word, every year that he was in uh, Congress, a hawk when it came to the fiscal budget and making sure that we balanced our budget. And we had a process called regular order in Congress where bills would come to the floor after being fully analyzed, read, reviewed, and then debated. And that has gone by the wayside. And the government has expanded and exploded. We could lop off huge percentages of the government. Nobody wouldn't even know the difference, the, the spending that goes on. Yeah, so you, you raised the point. I mean, there's definitely that need to restore that, that order and that uh, balance. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I introduced a bill a couple of weeks ago called the Audit and Return It. Uh, and, and, and really, the, the focus of the bill was, you know, we had all of this crazy uh, – new money that, that the federal government was throwing at COVID and COVID relief, right? And uh, what we found and what has been estimated that there's over $150 billion 
that was allocated that was never spent that had really no plan in place to what it was going to be used for. But in the guise of the pandemic, you know, everyone said, well, the answer is just throw more money at this. And uh, so, so, so my bill just simply says, you know what, let's, let's find that money. And if there's no real COVID relief program in place for that, let's bring that back and start paying our debt off. And it, you know, it's a lot of that blocking and tackling that has to happen. A lot of that common sense, you know, let's just start really being honest and looking at where, where we're spending money, where we're, where we're jeopardizing the future of our country and our kids uh, and, and really get serious about it. So there's a lot of opportunities out there to, to tackle fraud and abuse and waste and, and really just restore common sense to the fiscal house. We're talking to Congressman Brad Finstead of the 1st Congressional District here in the great state of uh, Minnesota. And uh, Brad, you know, you, you, you mentioned your committee assignments, AG, and you're also on the Armed Services Committee. Talk a little bit about your two committee assignments and what you're uh, seeing in just your first number of weeks uh, in Washington. Yeah, so first and foremost, I mean, one of the common threads for both those committees and, and how I really look at it is, you know, food security is national security. So you have to tie that agriculture component, really just the, the bread and butter of who we are as a country. Uh, we, have, we were a country that was built on our agriculture. So that's so important to where we are right now, not just feeding us here, but really just economically, the opportunities it creates for this country all across the globe. Uh, I would also say the Armed Services Committee. So here, here's an interesting committee that, you know, I feel like we are at a very, uh, very unique time in history. We are faced with threats uh, day in, day out. Um, six weeks ago, I don't think anybody would have normalized the words Chinese spy balloon. Yeah. And now, you know, now we're seeing the, uh, you know, the, the, the Chinese government and what they're trying to do and what they're, you know, really trying to do in regards to intelligence collecting uh, and seeing our response. And quite frankly, I'll tell you that the president failed in that response. So the Armed Services Committee really to me is about, again, what are we doing for our kids? What are we doing to protect us now and into the future? Uh, I, you know, I, I come from a Reagan Republican uh, philosophy of, you know, we were able to have peace through strength. Uh, we, we created that space for peace because people knew how strong we were from a military component. Uh, and, and so the question is, you know, where are we right now? Are we prepared for the next 30 years and what the challenges might face? Uh, and, and, and that, that's really kind of the, you know, the work that, that happens on the armed services committee. So it's an honor to be on that committee. You're listening to the victory hour. That's Brad Finstead, congressman for the first congressional district here in the state of Minnesota. I'm Andrew Parker, and we're going to be back after this short break. We're going to talk policy issues. The issues that, you know, face one of 535 in all of Congress that of 330 million people get to actually vote and affect the lives of all of the rest of us. It's a job that is so important, and we're lucky to have Brad Finstead as one of those voices in Washington representing us here from the great state of Minnesota. We'll be back after this short break. Go to ParkerDK.com, and you'll see a often referred to as award-winning website. Yes, indeed. Premier law firm, downtown Minneapolis, Parker Daniels Keyboard. We'll be right back after this break, so make sure to stay tuned.
It's the Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker. Jot this down with your number two pencil and your yellow pad. Yeah, you know why? Because the computer crashes. Who knows where it is? You can't get in there. You always can find your yellow pad. And on there, you will have written that in two weeks, we're going to have on the hot seat Congresswoman Angie Craig. 6th Congressional District Congresswoman, and we'll see what she has to say in defense of the Democratic uh, agenda. (laughs) I don't know. We're going to talk to uh, our guest today, Brad Finstead, a little about that agenda and wokeness in schools. How's that working? How's that? It didn't work very well for Lori Lightfoot in Chicago now then, did it? No, it didn't. Why? Because it's crazy. I mean, Normal American people who just go to work, come home, want to enjoy their family, do, you know, expect to get uh, a, a proper education for their kids when they send them off every day, are saying, what? What, what is this? You know, Brad, what do you have to say about the policy issue that we're seeing? Are they seeing it down in the first or is it a non-issue? Well, no, we're definitely seeing it. And there, I, I hear this over and over again. I mean, we need to restore rights back to parents. We need to make sure we're putting parents right back in the driver's seat when it comes to our education. And you, you have know, seven wokeness. kids. I mean, this, yeah. this is a real deal for you. It's the real deal. We see it every day. I mean, we, we are very blessed. Our kids are in a great school, school uh, system. And, uh, you know, my wife and I have been really involved in the school board and other, other things there. And, and that's really what we need, right? We need parents to be involved. And the, we, and we the FBI that. hasn't come knocking at your door and you've been involved in the, in the PTA. That's a little surprising. Yeah. And, and so you're, so, so what do people tell me in the first, they tell me that they are worried about the woke policy. They're worried about the censorship that see, that seems to be happening in some areas. You know, when the East coast has, uh, has folks come out against, uh, you know, politicians coming out against parents, calling them terrorists because they're showing up at school board meetings. You know, we're losing our mind when it comes to what really is needed in education. That is a stronger family unit. That is mom and dad being more involved in their kids' education. We want them to go to school board meetings. We want them to know what's going on in the curriculum. Uh, that 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 will get us a better product, a better outcome. And so, you know, we're uh, introducing the Parents' Bill of Rights uh, in, in Congress here this yeah. week, and we're Looking forward to having that conversation. Uh, we as House Republicans are very strong on the fact that, you know, we we, we got to make sure that we acknowledge that this woke culture and this uh, this uh, manipulation and, and thought censoring and, and kicking parents out of school board means it, it's got to end. We need more parents involved, not less. Well, parents' bill of rights. You're never going to see that on the Democratic agenda. You're never going to see it uh, being introduced. It wasn't introduced. It was a march toward wokeness in the schools, toward the most malleable minds in our society, uh, in trying to shift, uh, you know, their love for country, frankly. And and it's uh, it's very sad, but it's great that we now have a Republican majority that introduces bills like the parents' bill of rights. Uh, Brad, what what are the the issues as you travel the first congressional district, the big policy issues that people are worried about or they're talking about in southern Minnesota? Yeah, so we're a strong, you know, hotbed for agriculture, obviously. So the farm bill, rewriting of the farm bill coming up is very uh, important to folks. It's uh, something we hear quite often. Uh, We have a lot of small, mid-sized manufacturers. So workforce, uh, the future of the workforce, automation, you know, things that really uh, provide that economic uh, opportunity for for people in southern Minnesota. 
And then I would say healthcare. I mean, we, you know, obviously as, as the, the mothership for the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, uh, in the state of Minnesota, we have 70,000 healthcare professional openings right now. Uh, so there is a shortage of workers in the healthcare area. And so we have to, you know, acknowledge a couple of the reasons why we got here, you know, the COVID uh, uh, vaccine mandate and what that did to the workforce. You know, you know, we, we, we saw some folks leave the workforce through that uh, mandate. Um, but moreover, we, we have to just do a better job of making sure that we're reaching out to our young people and showing them that we have awesome opportunities in Southern Minnesota. Uh, for far too long, we have been exporting our number one asset and that has been our kids. We send them to the big city and say, you know, go out and get that education, experience life. And, and then we just hope and pray that they'll come back. We have to do a better job of, of, of showing folks the opportunities that we have here. So that, that's what, you know, we're hearing quite often as we've been traveling the district. And then I would just close with, you know, the, the uneasiness of where we are in, in the world of national security. Um, and, and that really comes down to not just over, not just the, the military or the, uh, the threat component when it comes to foreign leaders, but also the financial threat, the debt. Where are we in regards to, um, you know, just strength in government ultimately is, is what we hear quite often. Let's talk for a minute about national security on a few different fronts. You mentioned uh, the debt ceiling. We've talked about uh, we've talked about that. Uh, you know, I uh, believe philosophically in the importance of uh, uh, teaching uh, patriotism, teaching the importance of understanding the history of this country, the foundations of this country, the fundamentals of this country, because national security depends on it. If people don't believe in what we're doing here, uh, it is going to undermine our ability to fight and fight hard for existential uh, threats that might exist around the world. I want to turn, though, and national security to the uh, to the fentanyl threat, to the immigration uh, threat with open borders and not knowing who is coming in and having no rules whatsoever uh, at the border except for the rule of as many gotaways as possible is fine with this administration. Yeah, I mean, we, we are seeing a travesty at our border. And, you know, we like to say right now every state is a border state because we're seeing it everywhere. You know, it was it, it was just a few months ago where most of the fentanyl deaths were happening in the South. But we've seen that percolate now all through the country. And uh, and, you know, and this is to a certain extent by design. I mean, the cartel knows what they're dealing with. China knows what they're dealing with. There's over 100 manufacturing facilities in China that are producing fentanyl. We're able to trace fentanyl that's going through our southern border right back to China. I mean, this is a, a this is a threat. This is a terroristic threat. I mean, we are seeing it. And the answer cannot simply be, yeah, let's just have that wide open border and see what happens. Uh, we need to take this serious. And and really, it goes hand in hand with that immigrate with that immigration conversation, which is directly tied to workforce. Right. So uh, we have to get serious again. I think this country is asking for the grownups in the room to stand up and please be adults and please solve some of these challenges that really have just lingered on for years and years. And what about uh, the uh, the war that's raging on and on and, and Biden's policy as it relates to uh, the, the Russian-Ukrainian war, uh, Russian invasion of uh, Ukraine? We have had a number of shows regarding it. Zhenya uh, Kipperman was on a few weeks ago, who's the Ukrainian national uh, now uh, living in America. And it was a very interesting show. What are your thoughts and what are you hearing from how Folks in southern Minnesota in the 1st Congressional District are feeling about the policy handling by this administration of the Ukrainian war. 
Yeah. So there's a real strong frustration because, I mean, I, I don't think anybody can name what Biden's policy is uh, with the uh, Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, you know, we we really got into this mess because of his, his lack of leadership, his his lack of ability to stand up on the world stage and say, listen, don't do it. We have tools and triggers in place to stop you from doing this. Don't do it. He, he didn't deploy any of those uh, tools that we had that, by the way, could have been done in a very peaceful way. There could have been tariffs, econ- economic sanctions. You know, there could have been energy conversations. But instead, he sat back. You know, and, that Ronald the Reagan would have Ronald Reagan would have instituted them. And frankly, even Donald Trump would have. That's right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, We just look at recent history. When's the last time Russia actually stepped back and said, all right, we're not going to invade anybody around us? It was during the it was during the President Trump administration uh, because of that strength through, you know, being very powerful in regards to the words and the actions willing to take that that weren't military, you know, driven. It was, you know, more economic. So the unfortunate part is, all right, so here here we are. Uh, we're $115 billion in to trying to help the Ukrainian government out. Uh, so there is that humanitarian component, right? So we are compassionate people. We don't want to see these innocent families just brutalized by the, you know, the, the Russian regime trying to take over Ukraine. So there is a component to that. But I will say there's a very strong component of we need to make sure that these dollars are being, we're, we're holding folks accountable. Uh, we ha- we are gun shy in this country, right? We saw what happened in Afghanistan when we quickly withdrew without a plan and we left $87 billion of our military equipment on the ground that now, by the way, is in the hands of the Taliban and the Chinese government. So there is a hesitation that we keep putting billions upon billions of dollars into these foreign militaries and we don't really know where they're going, how they're being used and if we're holding folks accountable with that. So accountability is is first and foremost when it comes to what what uh, we should expect from the federal government in regards to Ukraine. We're talking to Brad Finstead, first district congressman from the great state of Minnesota. That's southern Minnesota that Brad represents and uh, represents them uh, not just from a policy distance, but he lives the life of the first district and is a farmer himself, uh, has had leadership roles as it regards agriculture uh, for much of his career, but certainly now on the Ag Committee. Brad, one thing that we, as near and dear to our heart, on the Victory Hour and we talk about with most of our guests is the state of Israel and the importance of the U.S.-Israel relationship to U.S. strategic interests. And I wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to uh, comment on specifically the subject of Israel's right to defend themselves. Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, it goes back to what you were talking about, you know, the need to educate and create that uh, patriotism and that love of country. That love of country really evolves around our, our love and support of Israel. A strong, healthy, vibrant Israel is, is so important to us. Uh, and and, it, and it, it's important for, uh, for so many different reasons. But just from an economic and uh, global security standpoint, uh, we, we need a strong Israel. So so when we see the Chinese, uh, you know, cozying up with Iran and, and what we're seeing going on there, we have to be cautious and we have to be willing to be, um, you know, supportive and, and however that may look uh, from an, uh, a U.S.-Israel relationship. But it is, a, again, part of history that we have to acknowledge and, and really try to teach and educate folks that Israel is so important to us from a military standpoint, from a global peace standpoint, and just from, a, again, a, a humanitarian standpoint. Right on point. 
Brad Finstead, First District Congressman, we say thank you very much. What a great discussion. I really enjoyed it, Congressman, and uh, I look forward to our next opportunity. I'm going to be out in Washington, D.C. I think my next trip is in June, and I'm going to make sure to uh, spend some time with you. I think we're trying to set up a meeting uh, now, and that is with APAC, as I'm on the National Council of APAC, and I know that you always have an open door uh, to APAC in support of the U.S.-Israel relationship. Congressman Brad Finstad, a big thank you to you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Well, we're going to be back after this short break for the final segment of the Victory Hour this wonderful Sunday. And uh, make sure to stay with us. Go to MyPillow.com to pick up some of the great bedware and uh, uh, sheets, pillows. You know, he's on to Pillow 2.0. Pick that up as well. MyPillow.com. Until... uh, uh, the short break is done. We're, we're going we're gonna to set up the next segment, and I'll tell you, it's a good one, so make sure to stay with us. I want to talk about the news that came out this week, uh, and uh, it, it ended up uh, really taking some in the government by surprise, and that is the FBI talking about, oh, maybe a shift of position regarding to where COVID-19 originated. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Big thank you to Congressman Brad Finstead as we continue with the Congressional Roundup, the Congressional Parade here on the Victory Hour. Uh, getting the update straight from representatives' mouths and, you know, a, a number of them coming to the Victory Hour so you can hear it direct. And today was no different. Very interesting. Uh, you know, to close the show, I want to talk about and, and not miss the opportunity to comment on the important news that came out this past week. The FBI is now openly and publicly stating, first, that they have, quote, for quite some time now assessed that the origins of the pandemic are most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. Continuing, quote, here you are talking about a potential leak from a Chinese government-controlled lab. And then uh, Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI, says, I will just make the observation that the Chinese government, it seems to me, has been doing its best to try to thwart and obfuscate the work here, the work that we're doing, the work that our U.S. government and close foreign partners are doing, and that's unfortunate for everyone. Well, it's, it's more than unfortunate for everyone. And it's more than just the Chinese government that is thwarting. They are getting assistance. And unfortunately, a lot of that assistance comes right from inside our borders here in the United States. For well over, you know, nearly two years, if not more, in fact, more, the left-wing media in this country 
vilified anyone that said what the U.S. government is now saying. The FBI is now saying. The CIA is starting to talk about now. Vilified them. People were destroyed. They were canceled, but worse. Some lost their jobs, depending on the industry they were in. Others were deemed conspiracy nuts. But as it happens, they were correct. And maybe if we had not tossed them aside, but analyzed, reviewed some of the basic facts and dug into it, we would have been able to avoid what has now become one of the biggest cover-ups in world history, which is where the Chinese now, you know, the chances of us really finding out what actually happened is becoming dimmer and dimmer and may well be impossible. Listen, there were three researchers at the Wuhan lab that had checked themselves in with first and initial symptoms of COVID-19, of the coronavirus, back in November of 2019. Remember, the first case in the United States didn't happen until the first quarter 2020. But these three uh, researchers had checked themselves in, and they worked at the Wuhan lab. They weren't working at the wet market. The destruction of lab testing and evidence is now all but accepted. The things were destroyed. This idea that, oh, this uh, evolved from natural causes, the one that Dr. Fauci has been pushing from the very beginning, has no foundation to it. And, you know, I, I don't, uh, many in Washington are now calling Dr. Fauci a liar. I'm not going to cast those sorts of aspersions. I certainly could. There'd be a lot of basis for it. But I don't know for certain. But it sure appears like someone of his stature would hardly ignore and push aside the Wuhan lab theory, which now is being seen as true, for him to have pushed it aside when so many things pointed to it appears to be political as well as self-interested because he knew that he was responsible for funding of the experimentation being done at the Wuhan lab, at least in part. That's a big deal. Was he covering it up? Intentionally? Wow. And by the way, you know, how many people were canceled in their medical careers and others, health, public health careers, destroyed? Great experts from great institutions across this country, not that I agree with them or disagree, but great credentialed doctors destroyed because they took a position different than Dr. Fauci. 
and different than what the mainstream media wanted to foist upon our economy and our people. And we suffered greatly because of it. And it was an error, a big error, enormous. People lost their businesses, their livelihood, because of some of the mistakes that were made by these public policy analysts who viewed those who took a different position as being crackpots, conspiracy nuts, and canceled them and destroyed them. It's wrong, and it's being done in a number of areas. I'm going to tell you, for me, for at least one guy here, I'm going to fight it, and I'll fight it every day. And I know you'll be behind me, or in front of me, or together with me. And I thank you for that. We'll be here next week as well. Thank you again to Brad Finstead. A great discussion with the congressman. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have on the show Angie Craig. Make sure to jot that down. But join us next week. And until then, have a great week. Until next time, he leaves you with these words from Winston Churchill. All the great things are simple. And many can be expressed in a single word. Freedom. Justice. Honor, duty, mercy, and hope. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.